Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. As new products and services try to make our lives easier, the people who purchase them inevitably do their best to test their limits. After all, a new solution might solve an old problem, but it can also open up a bunch of new ones to solve. Back in the early 1900s, rural American farmers had a major problem that they needed to solve, too. If they wanted to ship their produce across the country, they really only had two options. They could either transport it themselves to wherever it had to go, or they could have it shipped from the nearest city with an express mail office. The first option was a non-starter, because no farmers had the means to abandon their farms and drive their vegetables from state to state. The latter option carried with it a high fee that ate into their profits. So when the post office unveiled their parcel post service, which fit the needs at a much lower price, it was welcomed with open arms. Now, farmers could ship their goods all over the country right from their homes in a true farm-to-table fashion. And they did. The first six months of the service saw 300 million packages shipped. Weight allowances also increased the more people used the service. As customers demanded to ship heavier and larger items, the U.S. Post Office had no choice but to keep up. The parcel post was a boon for box manufacturers, too who were coming up with new designs for shipping all manners of items, most of which was food. For example, eggs were a popular item to ship. They were actually the first thing sent by Parcel Post. They left St. Louis at 12.05 a.m. to be delivered to Illinois. By 7 p.m. that evening, they'd come back to St. Louis transformed into a cake. But there's always someone who will take things too far. W.H. Coltharp was just that man, a contractor who had been tasked with building a bank in Vernal, Utah. His new bank would require new bricks, and his preferred brick manufacturer was over 100 miles away from the building site, in Salt Lake City. Naturally, carrying them by wagon would have, um, broken the bank, so he used parcel post to do the heavy lifting. The bricks were mailed one ton at a time in a series of 50-pound packages. Postmasters in both towns worked day and night to stem the tide of bricks building up in their post offices. While all 40 tons of brick were successfully delivered, about 1,600 parcels in total, legislation was amended limiting daily shipments to a maximum of 200 pounds. The Postmaster General actually wrote a letter announcing the new rule, wherein he said, It is not the intent of the United States Postal Service that buildings be shipped through the mail. But as hard as it might be believed, A building wasn't the wildest item shipped using parcel post. No, that honor was reserved for the parents of May Piersdorf. In 1914, May had expressed interest in visiting her grandparents, but her folks were struggling and didn't have the money for a train ticket. Instead, they came up with a far cheaper and more dangerous idea. They paid 53 cents for postage and then attached it to her coat. May, not even six years old, had just made the 50-pound cutoff for a single parcel at 48 and a half pounds. The postmaster in Grangeville, Idaho, where her family lived, classified her as a baby chick, and then she boarded the train's mail car. She traveled roughly 75 miles to Lewiston, Idaho, where she was delivered safely to her grandparents' doorstep by a mail clerk. Unsurprisingly, after her parents' exercise in frugality, regulations were changed again, 
people could no longer use Parcel Post as their own private transportation service. Of course, that didn't stop people from trying again in the future. One man tried to save himself the cost of a plane ticket by mailing himself from New York City to Dallas to visit parents. Like May, he too managed to survive his trip. Crazier still, though, is that he tried this just 16 years ago, in 2003. People will do anything for their pets, including going into debt for them. That no-sleeping-on-the-couch rule? It turns out to be flexible, because who can say no to that face, right? The animals that we bring into our homes enrich our lives in immeasurable ways, so of course we want to make their lives as comfortable and enjoyable as possible. Like many of us, Oliver Hazard Perry Belmont had a soft spot for the animals he owned, and he wanted to make sure their lives were filled with the best of the best. You see, Belmont was a socialite and a congressman who not only came from money, but made quite a lot of it on his own. His father, August Belmont, is the namesake of the Triple Crown horse race, the Belmont Stakes. As you can imagine, a love of horses ran in the Belmont blood. August's son Oliver wanted a summer hideaway. Nothing fancy, just a modest little bungalow where he could entertain small groups of friends while he was staying in Newport, Rhode Island. When he turned to Louis XIII for inspiration, his humble summer retreat quickly transformed into a 50,000-square-foot palace that he called Belcourt. The architect, Richard Morris Hunt, designed the 60-room mansion with multiple ballrooms, a grand staircase, and enormous stained-glass windows. There was just one problem. The location. It seems that Belmont didn't like the new money that had poured into town and how they built their monstrous homes right along Bellevue Avenue in full view of everyone passing by. Instead, he had his home set far back from the avenue, accessible only via an entrance along a side road. Anyone looking at Belcourt from the street would only see the back of the house from a distance, as though it had turned away in disgust. The interior of the home displayed heavy influences of French style including elaborate Gothic chandeliers and a staircase that was an exact replica of the staircase in a museum in France. The walls of the master bedroom featured large murals of noblemen going about their daily lives, and the master bathroom featured a standing shower, the first of its kind in Newport. Interestingly, the master bedroom and all the entertaining spaces were constructed on the second floor. The first floor had been reserved for Belmont's many four-legged housemates, Entrances on the first floor were wide enough to accommodate carriages moving in and out of the home. There was also a set of eight teak-paneled stables. Each one was heated by steam. That already sounded pretty fancy for horses, but Belmont went several steps further. All of his horses had clothes made for morning, noon, and night. They didn't sleep in hay either, but in white linen sheets embroidered with the Belmont crest. And the hooks on their harnesses were fashioned out of beautiful sterling silver. Belmont's horses clearly lived as luxuriously as he did. Richard Morris Hunt, the architect, wasn't sure about his clients' requests. After all, who had ever heard of a home where horses took up the entire first floor? And Hunt was no slouch, either. He had already designed the facade of the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the giant pedestal that the Statue of Liberty rests upon. So it took a lot to make this man worry. But he also knew that the decisions weren't really up to him. It was the client's money he was spending, and his job was to give them whatever they wanted. 
Uh, Belcourt, that included stuffing and mounting two of Belmont's prized horses after they died and having them placed in his drawing room. After Oliver Belmont died in 1908, his unusual mansion changed hands several times. Throughout its long history, it was used as a venue for the Newport Jazz Festival. But the years haven't always been good to it. In 1983, thieves made off with a million dollars worth of antiques. Much of what was stolen was eventually recovered, but several priceless historic artifacts were lost forever. It even functioned as a museum for a while, with only a fraction of the rooms available to view. However, it seems like it's been under renovation ever since Belmont died, with rooms changing and transforming with each new owner. But no one before or since has had the vision to do what Belmont did, to construct stables beneath the family living quarters, just so his prized horses could be a little closer and a lot more comfortable. And the horses apparently didn't mind. After all, there wasn't a single long face among them. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.